is the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. Here is your host, Brian McClanahan. Welcome back to the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. This is your host, Brian McClanahan, and this is episode 204, covering the week of February 3rd through February 7th, 2020. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Abbeville Institute, like our Facebook page at Abbeville Institute, and of course, subscribe to our YouTube page at Abbeville Institute. You can find all those social media buttons at our webpage, abbevilleinstitute.org. While you're there, give us an email address and we'll give you a free ebook. You'll get our daily dose of Dixie Monday through Friday and our weekly email on Saturday or Sunday, which includes a link to this podcast. You can also download our free mobile app. Just go to your app store, whatever that is, search for Abbeville Institute, and it'll pull up the mobile application. Download that, and you've got the Institute on the go. So you've got our podcast, all of our lectures. It's a great way to keep up with the Institute while you are in your car, on vacation, wherever you like to go, or just if you like to use your mobile device on a regular basis. And again, it's all free of charge. That said, everything we do is supported by your generous contributions. So if you like our podcast, our website, our programs, all of those great things, please consider a tax-deductible donation to the Abbeville Institute to the full extent of the law. You do support everything we do that way. And of course, we appreciate any bit you can send our way. So just go to abbevilleinstitute.org, click on that support tab at the top of the page. You'll see a uh, a drop-down menu, one that says donor options. Click on that and it'll take you out. You can donate monthly, annually, or one-time gift. You can also click on that shop tab under support, and it'll take you out to our online store. You can get your Abbeville Institute apparel. It's high-quality embroidered stuff, so if you want to advertise the Institute and you want to have a golf shirt or a fleece or a hat, there's a great way to do it. Just buy those items, and of course, that does also support the Institute as well. And don't forget to rate our podcast, rate this uh, rate this show on wherever you get your podcasts. Also, share our material on social media. That's a great way to help advertise the Institute and get more people involved in what we do. Okay, well, let's talk about the material for the week. We had, um, I think, a general theme for this week, and that is different Americas. And um, it's something we've talked about a lot on this uh, on this podcast or in our articles, how we have two Americas. It's something that's often said across the news. If you uh, watch the mainstream news, they'll say, well, there's two Americas. There's... there's uh, there's Trump America, and then there's the other America. Trump's America and the other America. Well, I think that's a simplistic way of looking at things. Oftentimes, we tribalize based on politics, but it's actually deeper than that. There are multiple Americas, and there's certainly a South. And there's certainly uh, places in America that are different. I mean, we, we know there's sections. I often ask my, uh, my students this every semester, you know, do you think there's a South? And I teach in an area where we have a large number of students that come in from other parts of the country, and they immediately recognize how different the place where they are is from where they came from. And so everyone recognizes that. Uh, the, the, the fact that there are multiple Americas and multiple cultures in America is something that we're supposed to embrace. We talk about a multicultural America But at the end of the day, what we really want is for our culture to be ascendant and to govern what everybody else does. So this is why you have so much conflict in America. In my own uh, podcast, The Brian McClanahan Show, I've talked about this. You know, why are Americans so angry? And they're angry because they want their vision of America to be the supreme vision of America and everyone else needs to be like them. When in reality, what needs to happen is we need to accept those differences and move in our own political directions, right? I mean, this this is something that essentially 
was the hallmark of that four-year period where the South declared its independence, essentially. I mean, it's it was saying, all right, we're never going to get along. Let's part in peace rather than try to continually fight over the central authority. We're never going to have that work. We'll just go our own way, and you can have your government. You can have the United States. We'll have our government here, and we'll just be happy with that. Of course, Lincoln wouldn't let that happen. And so what we've gotten is a Lincolnian vision of America that's now dominant. It is one-size-fits-all, top-down nationalism. This is why when Trump is in office and you have his policies that some people don't like, um, they're going to get violently ill about it. And when I say ill, it's not just sick. They're going to do things that are violent in reprisal. Uh, or when Obama was in office and people didn't like his one-size-fits-all policies, people were uh, not very happy about that either. But you see, what's missing in all that is if there wasn't this strong sense of Lincolnian nationalism, what would America look like? How would America be, di be different? Um, and so all the pieces this week touch on this subject in one way or another. So, for example... We kicked off the week with a piece by Boyd Cathy in Silent Sam and some of the ongoing efforts there. This is a big mess in North Carolina. Um, you know, of course, when Silent Sam came down through a mob, I mean, this is, this is what it was a mob that brought down the statue and the police refused to do anything about it. And then, of course, the University of North Carolina refused to put the statue back up on the campus. And so there's been wrangling back and forth. And finally, the University of North Carolina and the, and the trustees came to a resolution with the Sons of Confederate Veterans and the United Daughters of the Confederacy to give them money to put the statue in a place that's not somewhere where there's a UNC campus, essentially in a museum, and they would pay for it. Well, the leftist lawyers in the state of North Carolina don't like this because they think this took a couple of million dollars from something that would have gone to scholarships, which isn't the case. But they were very upset about that. So they've now sued to try to block the $2 million from going to the SCV. And they, of course, have gotten some documents uh, that they have essentially have stolen that say, well, you know, the SCV didn't really have any standing. I mean, there's, there's a whole lot of legal wrangling behind the scenes. At the end of the day, though, what we're confronting now is the fact that you have a lot of people moving into North Carolina. You have a lot of students that go to UNC who aren't from North Carolina. They're from other North Carolina now is defined as a purple state, meaning that it's uh, you've got a lot more of it's not a strong conservative state. It's a moderate state. And that's because you have so many people moving into North Carolina from other parts of the country and wherever they go. This is the funny thing about transplants to southern states. They want to move to the south because they like it, because they think that the south is going to be this great place to live. And when they get there, they bring all their political baggage and their cultural baggage with them, and they end up turning it into wherever they came from. So you can't you can't take this thing out of it. And I remember, and I've said this before on this podcast, one of your Abbeville scholars, Kerry Roberts, said, you know, if you want to see what Puritan America looks like, just look around you. We're living in it. If you want to see what New England America looks like, we're living in it. Um, we have political Puritans now, not religious Puritans, but political Puritans, and they are trying to exercise any type of heretics from the political, uh, political arena, right? So if you don't agree with them, you have to go. And generally those people are on the left. Not, not all the time, but generally they're on the left. And so this is what's happening in North Carolina. We see how this kind of stuff is also going on in Virginia. Now that the Democrats have taken control of the 
a legislature in Virginia, and of course they control the governorship, they're passing all kinds of legislation. And I mentioned this um, in an earlier piece I wrote for the Institute after uh, the Democrats won. I said, this is going to be it. This is a low-hanging fruit. Everyone was focusing on the Second Amendment issue, which is a big issue in North Carolina. Uh, I'm sorry, in Virginia, absolutely, and how they're trying to uh, uh, pass further and further gun restrictions. But not just that, one of the things they were going to go after right away, I said, was Confederate monuments. It's the low-hanging fruit. It's something they can go get because they think now, oop, there's no block. We, we, can, we can repeal this monument protection law in Virginia, and they're going to. We can, uh, we can now give counties the ability to take down statues. See, counties couldn't do that because counties are creations of the state and they can't violate state law. But if the state says, you know what, counties, we're going to give you autonomy to take down these statues, and this is exactly what they're doing, they're going to do it. So one of the things that's going to happen in the next couple of years, I guarantee it, and, and, unless people in Virginia get very upset about this and there is a rebellion at the polls, or they just refuse to do it, whatever the case may be, uh, you're going to see statues. And I think some of the more prominent statues in Virginia come down, whether it's in Richmond, uh, where you have a number of them. I think that you could see, for example, the Jefferson Davis Memorial in Richmond come down. Uh, it's one of the most beautiful Confederate monuments in the entire country, but uh, it's, it's going to come down. Uh, you, of course, are going to have Charlottesville. You're gonna, that, those areas, that, that area right there is, of course... Uh, ground zero for some of this stuff, but you're going to have efforts made in, in that part of the state to get rid of, say, the Lee statue or whatever it is. You're going to see these statues come down. There's already an effort to take down the Robert E. Lee statue from the Capitol and replace it with Nat Turner. We talked about that on the podcast already. But this is part of two Americas. The reason Virginia is going through this is because you have a large number of transplants in Virginia, whether they're in northern Virginia because they come there with the federal government, or whether they moved into the eastern part, the Tidewater area of Virginia, because they want to go to the beach, whatever the case may be, you've got people moving into Virginia that are not that are not native Virginians. They don't care about Virginia's history. They just think it's mean and bad, and they want it taken down. This is the other America invading a, another part of America, and of course, changing things. Now, the natives of Virginia. Those that have lived there, those that are part of the very long and beautiful history of the state of Virginia, um, with all of its warts and good things, bad things, I mean, it's all there, right? Virginia is the old dominion, is the most important state in the colonial period by far. I, I know the people of Massachusetts would disagree with me, but no Virginia, no war. Uh, Massachusetts couldn't go it alone. Uh, and Virginia was the key. And of course, it's produced so many of the important members of the founding generation. It is, in many ways, the cradle of America. The first permanent colony in, in English North America. I mean, it is so important uh, for, uh, for the future of the United States. But it is being transformed by this other America. And so when Professor Kathy or Dr. Kathy writes this writes this piece and talks about you know silent Sam and inconvenient history um, and how contentious this kind of stuff is going to get uh, and part of the, the major problem is of course people coming into areas and changing it as they move there and I mean this is just you could say it's the natural progression of time and uh, but it's our job of course here and uh, and other other organizations as well to try to present a history that says you know these things should be left alone. 
should leave these statues alone. They, they represent people, not just inanimate. It's not just an inanimate object. It represents people, real people with real families. There are more Confederate descendants in the United States than people realize, millions of them. And those people are people too. Uh, we don't believe in corruption of blood, even, even, this is the thing, even if you subscribe to the idea that somehow Southerners were traitors, which of course they weren't, but even if they were, the, if you look at Article 3, Section 3 of the U.S. Constitution, it talks about corruption of blood. It's not there. So why should we hold people guilty for something that their ancestors did? And this is exactly what is often suggested. But on the other hand, it's pure evil to try to make people take down and denounce their ancestors. That is the def very definition of evil, uh, without question. Uh, you're, you're denouncing your own genes. Um, and I don't think that's something that we should be in insisting that people do. So we've got these statues, we've got these monument protection laws that are there, but I've remarked before, that's dangerous. If, if all we're going to do is rely on mon monument protection laws. We're fighting a losing battle. There has to be something else. You have to change minds about this. There has to be a wholesale change in the way people think about monuments and the war and the South and how people think about the Southern tradition. Uh, this is going to take time, and I think you're going to see a lot more monuments come down over the next couple of decades than stay up. Um, so we'll see. But uh, certainly, this is part of an ongoing process. On the other hand, you have people like Aaron Gleason write a piece about how progressive Californians should just secede from the union. So they're not getting their wish. They didn't get Donald Trump out of office. Uh, and this is, again, this laser beam focus on the national, the quote-unquote national. This is what they want. They didn't get Trump out of office. They impeached him, but they couldn't remove him. So now people are going, I mean, Trump derangement syndrome is in high gear again. I mean, these people are really upset, bordering on mental insanity. Um, and so Gleason's response is, well, hey, look, why don't, why doesn't California just leave the union? I mean, why doesn't the state, why don't the leftists in the state really think about this and say, you know, if you want your Green New Deal, if you want your socialist state, you could have it. You could have it, just leave the union. Uh, and then Trump America, as the piece I wrote on Thursday talks about, Jesus land, as one, uh, social media poster commented, could just have their own. I mean, Jesus land could have its own thing. And of course, the United States of Canada, as this, uh, this leftist said, we should, the, the North, California, Oregon, Washington, much of New England, and some of the Midwest should just join Canada. It could be the United States of Canada. I'm not certain Canada would want them, but uh, this, in her mind, would uh, create a situation where they would have a good government, viable economy, and uh, they would have great laws in favor of all kinds of leftist causes. And then you could just have Jesus land where everything else would be horrible. This is what they really think, that somehow the South and the West would be terrible without them. In fact, it would probably be the other way around. Uh, without the South and the West, none of these people would even be able to be bailed out in wars. I mean, it was, they would get invaded and nobody's there to bail them out. Uh, one, one thing. Um, but the, the fact is, if all these places were so great, why are people leaving them in droves, right? California is actually losing population. It'll be, they're going to lose a representative for the first time in the history of the state. They're going to have one fewer representative in the next uh, cycle than they will this time around. So they're going to lose a representative. They're going to go down to 53 representatives instead of, I'm sorry, um, 
51 representatives instead of 52. So there you go. If California is so great, why are people leaving? If New England is so great or the iron, the, the, the Rust Belt is so great, why are people getting out and moving to the South? Well, because it's better. Of course, what that does is change because you have that American culture. So how do you deal with these things? Well, the other, on the other hand, as I point out in the piece I wrote on Thursday, on the other hand, you have people in the mainstream media and elsewhere say that if anything's wrong, of course, it's because of the Confederacy. You, the reason that Trump was acquitted is because of the Confederacy. That's it. Because 21 of the, of the uh, 51 votes, or however many it was, I can't remember now, 21 of those votes came from southern states. Former states of the Confederacy. Confederacy. So you know what? This is the ghost of the Confederacy coming back. These people are still running the government. All these traitors are still out there. In fact, what he's essentially saying, and some people have come out and said this, is that these senators are committing treason. They're just as bad as their traitorous ancestors, even if they're not really from the South, which many of the members of Congress are not originally from the South, but yet they represent a Southern state. Regardless, um, they are, they're representing treason. This is, this is the point being made. This is treason. Well, how does that work? Uh, treason is defined in the Constitution, but that's the message. You see, these people who voted against uh, the impeachment articles in the Senate are simply just supporting treason and racism because that, that's what they're saying. Now, we all know that uh, the act of secession is not treason. We all know those people didn't vote against uh, removing Trump from office because of race. They voted against it because they were stupid charges. But yet, here you have the media, and this guy that said this, I think works at CNN. He's not some, and he's a fairly prominent member of the talking heads of CNN. He's not a nobody. But uh, certainly he thinks that it's because of the Confederacy that uh, all these people voted one way or another. And this is just, again, bordering on mental insanity. These people, I mean, don't talk about, you should, their message is simply this, as I say in the piece, get over the war unless we don't want you to get over the war. Southerners, why are you so stuck on the war? Why do you want these statues to the war? What is it about? Why do you want statues to Lee and Davis and Jackson and the Confederate soldier? You just can't get over the war. On the other hand, uh, the war is why, uh, the Confederacy is why everything is bad in America. You think there's a reason why Southerners don't get over the war is because you talk about it all the time, right? I mean, it's a key part. It's the watershed event in American history, and it's really what changed everything. Uh, and it's okay. I mean, t the, these talking heads tell the Southerners to get over the war unless we want to talk about the war, and it's bad. So which one is it? Do you want us to get over the war or not? Do you want us not to talk about the war? Then why do you talk about the war? Pretty simple. I mean, uh, it is a transformative event. It is the singular event that changed America from a federal republic to a singular republic, from a federal republic to a national government. Lincoln was the driving force in that. It's the way things happened. And so when we talk about two Americas, there's one section of America that wants the South to forget. The other, the South wants to remember. But yet by remembering, they're told they're just backwards and, and racist and all these other things. It just gets so silly at times. This is why American political theater has become the best show in town. Pull up your chair, get you a bag of popcorn, because this political theater is absurd. 
And it all goes back to Lincoln. You see, if Lincoln had allowed the states to secede in peace, we wouldn't have any of this. You actually would have had only seven states out of the Union rather than 11. Those four other states that joined with the Deep South states after Lincoln called for troops to put down the rebellion had rejected secession. They still would have been part of the Union. But Lincoln is the transformative figure in America. And the piece on Friday is Clyde Wilson's uh, latest installment of his Southerner's Movie Guide. And of course, this particular piece is about Abraham Lincoln, the Steven Spielberg firm, film Lincoln. Um, and Clyde does not hold anything back in this particular review. In fact, it's a scathing review of that film, which um, that film to me is, uh, there's some parts to it that I, a couple things I disagree with Clyde on in terms of Daniel Day-Lewis and his acting. I thought he did a very good job. Clyde doesn't seem to think so. Um, but on the other hand, the film itself was a joke. And I do agree with, I mean, look, there's nothing really redeemable about the film. It is a joke of a film. It's complete Hollywood fabrication of things. It's just a bad film. And unfortunately, what that film does, though, is perpetuate the Lincoln myth. Anytime you hear, well, what should I watch about Lincoln? Go watch Spielberg's Lincoln. What for? It's horrible. It's just full of every Lincoln, uh, Lincolnian myth, every Lincolnian lie you can think of. Of course, the film centers on the, the passage of the 13th Amendment, which, if you watch the film, you would think that Lincoln had, I mean, his hands and everything. This is something that was really important to him. And he's, this is the same guy that was pushing colonization near the, to the end of the war, um, who didn't talk about freeing any slaves early on in the war. In fact, uh, there have been African-American scholars who have, were very critical of Lincoln. I've talked about Malcolm X. Malcolm X is very critical of Abraham Lincoln. Um, for one, but there have been others. There was actually a book published not long ago, Lincoln's White Dream by Lerome Bennett. And of course it gets into this Lincolnian myth that Lincoln was somehow, uh, a friend of, uh, African-Americans across the South and Bennett and white Southerners said the exact same thing at the time. He's not a friend to you at all. If you want a friend, you got to look at your community right here. This is where your friends are. Regardless, we've got the Lincoln myth. The Lincoln myth fuels this one-size-fits-all government. It fuels this activity that's trying to enforce some type of northern view on America. And so when you look at the Jason Morgan review on Tuesday... Um, Two Visions for, of America. It's a review of the book Land of Hope, an invitation to the great American story. And Morgan is, is highly laudatory of the author, Wilfred McClay. But he brings up the fact that you have um, all of this dissent, all these things that show that the South really needs to be listened to in America. The South is a key part of the American tradition. Not the only part, but a key part. I mean, New England has its own traditions. New England has its own customs and, and uh, way of doing things. And the South is not really interested in controlling what New England does. 
The, the rub comes when New England tries to control what the South does. That's the rub. That's the problem. So all of these pieces this week, whether we're talking about Silent Sam, whether we're talking about California secession, whether we're talking about uh, uh, Northerners blaming the Confederacy for everything, whether we're talking about these two visions for America, it always wor- it all works. Clyde's piece on Friday, uh, getting into uh, the myth of Abraham Lincoln in the Spielberg film. I mean, all of that matters. All of it matters for us as we're considering, as we're thinking about Lincoln, as we're thinking about American society and the future of American society and, of course, the future of the South, the Southern tradition. How do you keep the Southern tradition alive when you're being essentially invaded by people from other parts of the country settling into Southern states? It's going to be one of the pivotal questions moving forward in the next several decades, because the South is going to change because uh, by demographics. So if we don't do our job and try to get these monuments or get the history of these monuments in people's faces, uh, we're in real trouble. But the fact is, uh, the Abbeville Institute exists for this very reason. This is why I do this podcast. This is why we publish the articles. Is to bring attention to these things. The other thing that we have to think about in the future is, is that, I mean, this is something that one of the videos the, the, the Abbey Village student produced uh, several years ago. Is America too big? Can we have one-size-fits-all government in America? Can we have a situation where you have uh, extreme uh, centralization without ultimately political violence? Can you have those things? Or... Can you decentralize? Can you think about things in terms of, you know, uh, you can do what you do and I do what I do, and we're just going to let each other go our own way, and it's not going to be a contentious and nasty situation. Can we get to that point in America where we've accepted uh, that independence, secession is possible, where nullification is something that is possible, Or are we just going to have this one-size-fits-all government that's going to make everyone angry, put everyone at each other's throats, and really cause problems? That is really the question of the 21st century. Decentralization, a key component of the Southern tradition, is now in vogue again. People are openly talking about it. The fact that we have A.C. Gleason or Aaron Gleason writing this piece on California when he's a conservative, but he understands what California is. It's a bunch of leftists there. He's saying, you know what? That's fine. California needs to be independent anyways. He He's a Californian. That would be to his own detriment. Because if California is independent, he's not got a chance to have any government the way he would want it. But yet, because he believes in the spirit, the, the American principle of self-determination and core American values... He's in favor of California secession, as are many other people in, in California who are on the left, who are thinking, my gosh, in this age of Trump, we're never going to get anywhere. We're never going to make any headway. And I mean, I, I tend to agree with them. I tend to agree with them and tend to uh, think that they should leave the United States. But... 
These are really good pieces because they point out the fundamental issues in America today. We've got two of America's two visions for America. We've got a northern vision, a southern vision. You can maybe put some of the west in with the south and some of the far west in with the north. But regardless, this is America that we have. And moving forward in history, we're going to have to wrestle with how to make these things work. How do we make uh, America work? How do we make America um, and, and the South more in particular, how do we make America function without extreme heavy-handed policies by the United States government and the central authority? How do we do those things? It's an important question, one that I really don't have the answer to at this point. But something we should all think about as if you're involved in politics or you like politics. Uh, and when you start looking at politics that way, that national nationalism is just bad, no matter if it's on the right or the left. Um, it makes politics much more interesting. All right. Hope you enjoyed this episode of the Week in Review at the Abbeville Institute. Until next time, good day.